you're taking notes, you can write down the title, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't, that baby up there, look at that little baby eating the cake. Can't have your cake and eat it too. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, or not Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. As you're turning there, just to give you a little, I wrote this down, my goal tonight um, is to give you the secret sauce. (laughs) You're like, who puts sauces in cakes? I don't know. (laughs) The secret sauce to find satisfaction. The secret sauce to find satisfaction. When I say satisfaction, um, especially from a biblical understanding of what I think it really means to be satisfied, you could use a lot of different words, but I think about Adam and Eve prior to the fall. And there's this really cool two words um, that describe their state. And when you read the Old Testament, we have to understand that the writers were primarily writing um, about deeper things in people's lives, morality and and spiritual state, not so much just primarily naturally and physically, but that mind at that time was thinking about the soul very, very much so. And it says that they were naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. But what that's really trying to reveal to us is that when we're in the presence of God and we're at peace with God, the state of our soul can be at peace. It can be satisfied. Because if you're anything like me, you have dreams. I have I dream this way. If this is too graphic for you, I'm sorry. But I'll have a dream and I, I won't have all my clothes on in the dream. And it's like a nightmare. Yeah. It's not a dream. It's, it's a nightmare. Wow. <laughs> I might not have a job on Monday, but that's all right. I got the point across. The point is, is like even beyond our physical, you know, embarrassment of ourselves at times physically, many of us have an even deeper insecurity emotionally about who we are as people. And God created us to be at peace with him, to be naked and unashamed, to be satisfied in our soul. And he wants to bring us back to that place. Before we get to Matthew chapter 16, um, referencing Genesis really two and three, there's this point in Genesis two and three, well, in two, before we get to three, and Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they're with God. God is walking with them. He is present to them. And we often, often reference doctrinally and, and theologically that this place, this space in, in Genesis chapter 2 before the fall in 3 is the ideal state that humanity was created for, to be in God's presence, for it to be uninterrupted, unadulterated, for us to be at peace with God, to be naked and unashamed. But then Adam and Eve, you guys know how the story goes. They sin, right? God gave them all these incredible things to enjoy. He just said, just don't do one thing. All the parents are like, yeah, that's life with my kids. I give them all these things. They just don't do this one thing. And what do they do? The one thing they were not supposed to. And at that point in time, a division entered into creation. And Adam and Eve were no longer with God. They were separated from him. 
they were brought into a different state, one where we see in that part of the story, after they eat, it says they knew they were naked, but they weren't unashamed anymore. They got all these leaves and they immediately began to cover themselves. They were blaming each other. They were full of shame. They were full of guilt. It's because they were no longer in the state that they were originally created for with God in obedience to him. Now they've been separated from him. And we see God creates this division and he seals it up. And Adam and Eve can no longer enter back into God's presence. And what's been going on in humanity since that point in time, whether we consciously or subconsciously recognize it, what humanity, Adam and Eve, uh, are we believe that they were literal people, um, but they, even more so than just their individual lives, they represent the state of humanity and the beginning of it. From that point in time, what humanity has been trying to do is get back to this place. Not just this garden, who knows where, but to be in this state and this presence where we're with God and our souls are satisfied and we're naked and unashamed. And everything we do, every act, every desire, again, consciously or subconsciously, whether we recognize it or not, what we're trying to do is find peace with our souls. We're trying to be or our greatest desire is that we would look in the mirror, so to speak, and look at the person that we see. We see ourselves and not feel insecure, not feel afraid, not feel condemnation and shame, but to look at that person and say, I can stand and look at this person and feel like they're worthy and they're valuable and God has meaning and purpose and significance for their life. Now, if you're anything like me, that happens, whether you're actually physically looking at yourself or you're just reflecting on your humanity and your existence and you don't feel that type of confidence, you're, you're often full of, at different times, shame and guilt, fear, or insecurity. What I want to do tonight is give you, again, the secret sauce to go from that place of guilt, insecurity, and shame back to a place of satisfaction where we can stand, even in this crazy, wild world, because it's crazy and wild. We named football teams the Raiders, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> And they, they, signed, they signed people like Antonio Brown, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, come on. But the Patriots stole him, and we're going to tame him. Come on. Anyway, moving on. Just keeping you on your toes tonight. How do we get back, even though we're in this broken world, how do we get back to this place with God? How? Is our soul satisfied? Matthew chapter 16, if you turn there with me. Matthew chapter 16. Afterward, if you're going to reference back your notes, it's important to write down Genesis 2 and 3. I'm not, we're not going to read it, but there's some incredible parallels between what we're going to see uh, in Matthew chapter 16. So uh, reference back to that as you're, you're restudying it, as I know you will later on, right? Matthew 16. Verses 24 through 20, it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will 
find it. If you're taking notes or you're highlighting, those two words right there, will, make sure you underline those or highlight those. They're really, really significant. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What Jesus is doing here is really important. He's really revealing to us two different ways of life on a fundamental level. There's the way of self. which in our current society, maybe more than ever before, we are diseased, deceived. Maybe it is a disease. We are deceived to think that the way of self is the best way, right? This narrative and language of all these books, you know, trying to find the best version of yourself. And I'm not saying that's all entirely wrong. We'll unpack that in a little bit, but we have to be very weary of that. There's the way of self, and then really, there's the way of Jesus. But what is true, we also see this. Jesus says in another portion of his life that this way, the way of Jesus, is narrow, and few travel upon it. He says it's the one that leads to life, the life like Adam and Eve had prior to their separation with God. There's this other way, which I'm going to call the way of self, and we see this in the scriptures, and it is a much wider path. He says many are on it, but it leads to destruction. What we have to do tonight is decide which path we are on. Here's how you can understand the way of self. The way of self, in terms of discerning it, if you're on it or not. Generally, and I'll say this before I say anything else. A lot of the things I'm saying are conjecture, which means they're my opinion. I'm doing my best by God's spirit to interpret the scriptures. So you're not going to agree with everything I say because I'm a human being. I just say that because I always have people come up to me afterward and they're like, we're having these nuanced conversations. And it's like, yeah, I'm a human being. I don't say everything right, so just understand that as I'm saying it, okay? Okay. The way of self, the best that we can understand, and this is what I've learned in my own life, I see this in the life of others, we're traveling on the road of self when we're choosing a way of life. That's the devil trying to confuse me, you know? The way of self often is characterized this way. This is how you can kind of discern if you're on this journey. Is if you're seeking immediate pleasure. And the cost of that immediate pleasure, the the relationship, the action, um, the, the indulgence of a substance, whether that's food or a drug or whatever it might be, it's immediately pleasurable to you. You get a high, you get a buzz, you get this immediate satisfaction, but it leaves you longing for more, emptier than you were before. 
Another way to understand the way of self and determine if you're on this way is if there's great destruction relationally in your life. The issue with the way of self is it's a way where you're making decisions and living primarily based on what's best for you, regardless of what it costs other people. Destructive relationships. Another way to determine if you're on the way of self, this has a lot to do with this one, and it affects this one, is very simple. This way is always really easy. If the things that you're choosing and the decisions you're making are based on what's easiest and quickest, then it's possible you're on the way of self. Because what I know, McDonald's, always easiest. Candy, mmm, but it's easy and it's rotting my teeth in my body, in my soul. (laughs) If you don't think there's a connection between the physical world and the spiritual world, then America has deceived us. Another way to determine if you're on the way of self is if your mind and your emotions are constantly confused. And we'll just add the word chaotic. You know why that is? Because all we're thinking about is ourselves. And we were created for community. We were created for much more than just our selfish indulgences. So when we're just consumed and motivated by what's best for us, our mind and our soul is not consistent and in alignment with what we were originally created for. So it's confused and it feels chaotic and it feels empty. And then that causes destruction and it leaves us longing for more. Let me see what else I wrote down. You know if you're on uh, the path of self, if you're constantly wondering what your purpose is. If you're constantly asking yourself that question, It's probably because all you can see is yourself and you can't see the people around you who you can serve and love and care for, which is your purpose. Like, let's not overthink God's will and purpose in our life. It's very simple. Love him and love the people around us. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your title is. I don't care how much money you make or you don't make or you know, what your kids are doing, any of those things. At any point in time, we can fulfill our purpose. If we can just take our eyes off of ourselves, if we can fix our focus and our attention on God, and when we do that, he satisfies our soul, and then he says, look around you, and give to the people who are around you what I have given to you. 
And then you live this incredible life of satisfaction. Sounds easy, right? In general, what this path leads to is destruction and death. Jesus says the consequences, or well, not Jesus, but Paul in Romans, he says the consequences of sin is death. God said, uh, it's really interesting, I told you to underline those words, will. In Genesis, what we see, Jesus is saying here, is he's like, if you choose this way, this will happen. Life, real life, standardized by the scriptures and the way that God has told us what it means to be alive. You could label it or refer or think about it as heaven. Heaven on earth, but also in the next life. Destruction. You could think about it as hell. Some of us think that hell is the place that someone or we maybe may go in the next life, and that could be possible if our faith, our, our deepest belief and conviction is not in Jesus. There are consequences for that. But it's not just this place we go to when we die. You've heard people say, and maybe you've even felt this way, you, they or you have tasted hell. This is hell. All these things. What it really is, is separation from God. Because when we live the way of self, we make ourselves our own God. And there can only be one God in this world. And it is the God that we see in Genesis who created all of creation and then tells this incredible story where he is supreme and in love with his creation and constantly trying to call them back to him. But the reason why Adam and Eve were separated from his presence was because Adam and Eve wanted to go out on their own and make a decision, a God-like decision, and take and indulge in, this is, what, this is crazy, this is what it says in Genesis chapter three. It says that fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of was a delight to their eyes and they had desire for it. In the way of self, this is the problem. Everything that we choose that leads to all of these things or is done because of some of these things is generally initially delightful to the eye. And we have some level of desire for it. And we live in a society and a culture right now that's saying, do whatever feels good and do whatever you want and live the best version of yourself. And you can go ahead and do that. But if your life is characterized primarily by any of these things, is it possible that you're on the way of self? And are you willing to head towards this destination? And maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you're on this path and you're saying, Connor, I'm not going to hell because I, live, uh, I believe in Jesus. And I, if that's your belief, then I agree with you. You're not going to hell. But just because we are going to go somewhere in the next life doesn't mean that we won't still experience this in this one and settle for it. And if we choose this way, it's what we'll taste. And I'm just of the opinion that Jesus didn't do what he did so that we could taste and experience and indulge in this for our whole humanly, earthly, natural life on this side of eternity just to hope to get here when it's all said and done. Yeah. 
because he invites us on this way. He says, if any of you are going to follow me. Now, here's what we have to know about the way of Jesus. A couple just distinctives. One, it's really hard. And if you think it's been hard, it's possible it's going to get harder. (laughs) And that's because we're always, apart from God, looking for what's easy. But until we breathe our last, we're going to have to choose the way of Jesus. And that means that we're committing to a life of hard decisions. The narrow way. One way you can determine if you're on the, primarily on the way of Jesus or the way of self is if you're living such a life where there are a lot of people doing the same things that you're doing and a lot of people around you are feeling all of these things, right? Because Jesus said the way of the wide gate which leads to destruction has a lot of people on it. It's the narrow gate that few travel on leads to life. And again, we're in this context and we have, you know, 13 to 1500 people who meet here on the weekend, every weekend and all these different people in city groups. And you're thinking, well, we're all in this room. We're all on this path. But are we? I know for more significant amounts of time than I would like to admit, I'm on this path. Another way you can understand the way of Jesus, this is a good way to determine if you're on that way, where everything you do, everything you say, everything you listen to, the way that you respond to people, and just the way that you respond to the world and enjoy the world does this. This is the greatest thing. It creates reverence inside of you, reverence and awe for who God is. Like, I want to be around people, and I want to watch things, and I want to listen to things, and I want to think in such a way where I'm just consumed with the goodness and the the sovereignty and the narrative, the story of Jesus, and my life is just constantly, even when I'm doing all these different things, whether it's something simple like washing the dishes, which consumes a lot of my time, or, you know, in meetings, whatever it might be, you know, whatever, no matter how mundane or no matter how assumingly spiritual, I just want to be in awe of who God is. And if you're living in such a way where you're not in awe of who God is, if you are distracted constantly from God and what he's really doing in the earth, which is healing and saving people, then it's probably because you're on the way of self. The way of Jesus is a peaceful way. It's peace with people. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that there's no conflict. That's definitely not the case. There's conflict. I had conflict with my wife today. (laughs) And I think I'm on the way of Jesus. And so is she. But in the midst of that conflict, there was peace. Emotionally, my emotions are registering one thing, like, I don't like you. (laughs) 
you don't even want to know what hers were registering. Mine is. <laughs> but I don't act upon that like I would like to. Apart from God. The peace of God fills me. God's spirit speaks to me. He's like, really? You're going to be mad about this? This is ridiculous. You need to change your attitude. You need to take control of your feelings. And you need to, to love your wife. So yeah, are there, is there conflict and is there real emotions and is there temptations? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, like it says in Philippians, there's this supernatural peace that transcends all understanding. It doesn't make sense. You're having these feelings. You're relating to all these things that are happening in your life and you're thinking, I should be angry. I should be twisted. I should be all these things, but I have peace. I have reverence for God. What happens when we're on the way of Jesus is relationships are not being destroyed and broken and bridges are not being burned. They're being restored and unified. When you're on the way of Jesus, I'm not going to keep writing all this stuff, but you're, you, no matter what's going on, even if your job is taken from you or the approval of man is taken from you, you recognize I have purpose. Like no matter what, because we often base our purpose and our meaning and our significance when we're motivated by ourself based on labels and titles and circumstances. But all those things can be taken away. So why should we put our faith and our trust and our security in things that are taken away? The right answer is we shouldn't, but we do. But that's when we're motivated by our selfish desires and we try to play God in our life. But when we're on the way of Jesus, like happened in Jesus' life, no matter what happens to us or what comes against us, we stand confident that there's a purpose and a significance to my life and it's to love others and it's to reconcile people back to God. And no matter who tries to come in between me and my mission, no matter what happens, I will see it through and I will accomplish it. Now, the problem, and this is where the title comes from, you can't have your cake and eat it too. The problem in our society is we think we can indulge in all of this and have all of this and have this too. And what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 is you can't. For instance, it's City Group Weekend. All of us in here, whether you would consciously say it or not, or maybe, you know, I don't know where you're at emotionally, but all of us want deep, meaningful relationships with people. And we want freedom in our life. That's, we want, that, you know, those are characteristic things of the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus. But, because there's something inside of us that's, selfish and we haven't surrendered to God, we choose to isolate ourselves. And we won't enter into community. And now we have this tension and this conflict inside of us because we think we can isolate ourselves and separate ourselves and, and hide. And I get it. I'm not saying that your feelings and your fears are not somewhat reasonable. 
Like, I understand my humanity, and there are things that I'm insecure about around other people. But I want freedom more than I'm willing to tolerate my insecurities. So I choose not to isolate myself because I recognize I can't have isolation and freedom. Have you been living in such a way where you have been indulging your flesh? You've been choosing and doing and thinking in such a way that's motivated by everything you can gain no matter what it costs anyone else around you. Thinking that you're going to inherit all the things that you truly hope for that God has for you. And if you have been doing that and you've been feeling all of these things and you've been wondering why, even though you show up to church, here's the deception. In our culture and society, we can be a Christian and be on this path really, really easily. But like Jesus says, a a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. So no matter what we try to do externally to communicate to the world, to try to hide all the mess that's going inside of us, that I'm a good, faithful Christian, ultimately, if this is the fruit of our life, the truth is we're walking on the way of self, even though we're trying to do all these Christian things, and we're feeling really empty, and there's a deeper conflict in our soul because we don't know what's going on, and it's because we're not aware that we're trying to be our own God. And what Jesus is saying tonight is you don't have to live that way anymore. You can go on the way of Jesus. But here is the thing that separates the two. Let's do this. I was a... (laughs) I was an award-winning artist at one point in time in my life. The thing that separates the two is the cross. That's like a, yeah, never mind. (laughs) Thank you, Chase. You're on the way of Jesus, my friend. Well, the cross is symbolic of, we're all very familiar with the cross. It's it's such an icon in our culture. There's not a shortage of crosses and familiarity with it. I think sometimes we like the idea of the cross, the icon of it. But are we really aware of the theology and the philosophy of the cross? The cross is the personification, it's the manifestation, it is the ultimate symbol of a way of life motivated by love, willing to do whatever we have to do for other people. If Jesus was selfish, he would have not gone there. But because God so loved the world, and what's crazy is, this is important to know. Thanks, Toph. Good reminder. This is important to know. Because you might be asking this question, well, how do I determine what's selfish and what's not selfish? Just because you have selfish desire doesn't mean you're guilty yet. But don't act upon that desire. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus. He's like, God, if there's any other way, let's go that route. 
He has a selfish desire. He wants to preserve himself. He's thinking about his own well-being, and he's thinking, you know, if we could do that, that would be great, right? But what does he say? He says, not my will, but your will be done. Because Jesus knew that if he took on the cross, and the reason why he did, not just, well, he knew that it would be the tool, and ultimately even beyond just this physical tool, but it was the moment in time, it was the act that would reveal to the world that God is really who he is, and that he loves us, and that he wants to save us. It's this act of grace. It's the standard for love. And he knew that the reward of it would be that you and I would gather in this place, on this path, free from all of this stuff, worshiping God so that we could share with the world that he is real and that he loves us. And what Jesus is saying is if you want this, then you too need to take on this. couple of practical things. Uh, if you're wondering what the ingredient is for satisfaction, the secret sauce, it's self-denial. In order to be satisfied, to be on this way, the way of Jesus, we have to take up our cross and deny ourselves. And I'm talking down to every little detail of your life. Every detail, every decision, every thought process. I ask myself, literally, when I'm, right now, a big thing that I need to change in my life is how I eat. And I think, before I eat anything, I think to myself, is this going to kill me? (laughs) Now, you're laughing, because in our society, we think we can eat whatever we want and have healthy bodies and healthy souls. But we can't, like I can't consume sugar the way that I have for 24 years and not wonder, will this metastasize in my body and create free radicals and cause cancer and kill me? Because it will. And you know what? When I do that, what's really happening is I'm willing to indulge my flesh, myself, for immediate pleasure. And you know what's going to happen is one day my wife might outlive me by 20 or 30 years. And who knows why? You know, there could be multiple different reasons, but I don't want to go to that place knowing that it was because I indulged myself at any cost. Everything. Is this about me? Could this cause harm to me and ultimately prevent me from being the person that God has redeemed me and saved me to be? A couple things. In order to deny yourself, um, there's a really good book called Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. If you're looking for a good read, I'm going to reference some of the points he makes on behavior change. Uh, but before do, I do that, this phrase, uh, let him deny himself, this let him deny, if you were to go and do a deeper study to try to gain more context as what the, and regarding what the original author is trying to communicate, these are a couple of things that will show up. It says this, in order to deny yourself, this is what it really means, to affirm that you have no acquaintance or connection with someone or something. So when we deny ourselves the things that used to kill us, we say, I'm no longer associated or acquainted with that. 
Because part of the problem is, is we continue to indulge in these things because we associate ourselves with them, whether uh, mentally or actually physically. They say this about uh, behavior change. What's most important is not motivation, it's not desire. If you've ever been addicted to a substance, whether, again, that's food or um, a drug or alcohol, or you've been codependent on people, it's generally not that you have a lack of desire and awareness that something's wrong. It's that you haven't changed your environment. There's a study, uh, 40% of the soldiers who went off to Vietnam tried heroin at least once. 28% of them were addicted to it. 90% of those 28% who were addicted, when they got home back to the States overnight, never used heroin again. Now, if you know anything about heroin, that's a miracle. In our society, in our country, 90% of the people who get addicted after they try to get sobriety end up back in their addiction. And it's because they didn't change their environment. What it means to deny ourselves is to be aware of what's selfish and killing us and destroying us in the world around us and have the courage because of what Jesus has has done to say, I don't belong to that anymore. I don't have to entertain these people. I don't have to search for their approval anymore. I can separate myself. I can remove myself. And if you really want to get free, how badly and how willing are you, do, are you to do that? Because what we know is if we, can, if we cannot acquaint ourselves, if we cannot associate with ourselves anymore, if we can deny ourselves, Jesus has promised. He says you will save your life. You will It's promised, it's guaranteed, but we have to do the part of self-denial. Couple things. Will you give me a couple more minutes? Okay. This is from Atomic Habits. Really practical to understand um, how to deny ourselves three things he says in order to change behavior, to change the way that we're on. Number one, you have to make it attractive. And so the good behavior that you want, you have to make it attractive. The bad behavior or the bad thing that you're associated with, that's selfish that you're indulging in, you have to make that unattractive. So uh, for a really, really long time, I, I not taking care of my body. And I used to say, it's, well, I don't like the pain of working out anymore, and I don't like going to gyms where there are all these people, and I feel like I can't breathe. It's like this can stuffed full of sardines. And I, I, I had this really bad habit. I still have it. I'm working on this. Every time I set my alarm for 5 a.m. every morning, it goes off at 5 a.m. every morning. And I grab my phone, and I hit this side button which automatically snoozes it. It's super easy. And I get back in bed. And like an hour or an hour and a half later or whatever it may be, it's like your window of opportunity has, has gone. So what I do now is the night, before I go to bed at night, I set my shoes down and my shorts and my t-shirt and everything I need to go to the gym and I put it right by my phone. 
and make it as easy as possible to get to that point where I can choose to snooze my alarm or not and get back into bed, but I see everything I need to go to the gym. And it makes it a lot harder for me to make the decision to go back to bed. And the other thing that I've been doing is I tell myself I love the pain of working out. I do. I'm going to be so sore tomorrow and I'm going to love every second of it. Because I know that growth is on the other side of it. I love lots of people in small spaces. I love it. Don't have any problems with it at all. Now you think I'm crazy and I'm just playing mind games. The greatest tool that God has given you is your mind. In Romans it says that's where transformation happens in our life. And if you want to get off the way of self and get on the way of Jesus, you'll begin to change the way that you think and see things. The second thing, make it easy and make it hard. Like I said, um, I make it as easy as possible for me to go to the gym. I also, I have this thing on my phone. Social media consumption is uh, a problem for me. Get distracted really easily. So I went through my phone. My Instagram app used to be right here. It was really easy to open it. Now, not on the second page, but on the third page. And it's not, it's not standing isolated by itself because that would be too easy to get to it. It's in a folder, and that folder is not called social media. It's called go read a book. Because the, realistically, I consume social media because I have like a fear of missing out. I'm looking for the approval of man and I just like want to escape. I need to change my behavior. I need to get off the way of self. But in order to do it, I have to make it harder. And this is the last thing. He says you have to understand the reward of the behavior that you want and understand the consequence of the behavior that you don't want. That's the biggest thing. We think that if we go down this path, that we'll have this reward. We have to understand that if we go down this path, even if we scrape by at judgment, then we've totally missed what God has for us. This is an intersection. The only way prior to this was this. And then God put Jesus on the cross so that heaven could intersect with earth. But the only way to experience this is if we deny ourselves and take up our crosses and inherit the kingdom of God and eternal life that God has for us. How bad do you want it? And is it worth it? You stand.